This is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience Podcast. This week, I'm joined by returning guest and my friend, Gary Connolly. Gary's the founder of Host in Ireland. He's a podcaster and an entrepreneur. For the last several years, he's been a significant voice in the area of clean energy and energy independence and the role of data centers in helping human beings flourish. We have a lively conversation on these topics and more, which seems even more relevant considering the situation in Eastern Europe right now. Join Gary as he explains how we need to play with our heads up on the next QTS Experience. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data, how we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. Off camera, just before we came on, we were kind of reviewing some of the things we might kick around and we were having a great chat. And then you sort of started the podcast without me. So I want to back up to that point because <laughs> one of my favorite things about you, Gary, is um, in, in your in particular swim lane, you nail it over and over and over. You have this unique ability to consistently talk about things that are near and dear your, to your heart, bring in other voices that are either directly um, involved in that or indirectly and how it enables the narrative. You adjust as you go along, but you keep coming back to sort of the big points of digitalization, decarbonation, and you, you talk about it um, in such a way that we understand very clearly what it is that you mean. So why don't, I've set the table. Why don't you start off with the, wherever you want to start with those two ideas, and then uh, let's get into some uh, current events and tease that out some. Yeah. That's a wonderful way to tee it up. But I think we can learn so much from history, right? Because more people, well, certainly me, have more experience of the past than we have of what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we can learn a lot. We, You know, when I think of the era that we're in right now, 2022, it's recognized because marketing people love to have labels. And on this one, it's actually very helpful. We're in the fourth industrial revolution, right? Right. Yeah. So maybe that's hard, isn't it, for people to understand, well, what does that exactly mean? So maybe it's easier to remember the first one, which was much more physical <laughs> and much more tactile. And we could see it and we could touch it. And we didn't have to depend on this amazing supercomputer in our pocket. But it was steam. Imagine steam, what it did in, in, in 1756 when the miners were going down deep to get more coal, but they were drowning, genuinely drowning. Mm. So somebody came up with a pump that would take that water out of that mine so they could go deeper. And the steam was the catalyst. It wasn't the piston. It wasn't the pipe. It was the steam and capturing it and focusing the steam onto a piston to get some action was the magic. Mm -hmm. So that then turned into making the world smaller with steamships and steamboats and steam trains and steam steam. Guess what? We've now gone two more. Electricity was the second catalyst. Mm -hmm. And would you believe, David, that microchips was the third? Mm -hmm. So we're so over this data technology thing because that was the catalyst for the third one. Mm -hmm. So the fourth one now, it's recognized that the intelligence given by data, not data on its own, mm -hmm. you know, it's what intelligence we can get or think of the steam, focusing the steam directly onto the piston rather than having just steam going everywhere. So I think what really to me 
uh, is important right now is that we realize that if we are in this technological industrial revolution, and maybe industrial is even a, a misnomer because in our minds we paint a picture of uh, um, old millennia Britain with clouds and steam. Right. <laughs> so maybe that's not right. But the, the principle of it is, is that the data, if it's focused, via different formats, AI and whatever else we're going to talk about, gives us the intelligence to either do something automatically or gives us humans the intelligence to for us to do something intelligently with it. Right. And I think that's the big uh, uh, thing that uh, is emerging now um, is that the two mega trends over the last two years, the two ones that are paramount and should be is, as you pointed out, the decarbonization of society and the digitalization of global society. And it is not going to be possible to do the former without masses of the latter. Because digitalization, and again, we spend a lot of time and we're trying to often in the back foot justify a large center that holds data because it just looks like it's useless. It's a box that nobody ever goes in and out of. You don't know, it just seems to consume electricity. But you know what? If you look at a cornfield and you don't know what that cornfield does, you think it's an awful waste of land for corn. (laughs) Until somebody tells you actually, then the guy comes and he takes the corn away and he grinds it down into flour. He gives it to the baker and he feeds the planet. Ah, now I know. But if we were actually just shown a field of corn, we'd say, well, that's got no principle. And often I feel that's the same, but our discussions around data center. Well, actually what people in the real world call that data is digitalization. It's called smart thermostat. It's called smart city. It's called Netflix. It's called, they don't call it data center. So we, we, we should always try and understand that the audience that we're talking to are, are probably having, don't know what a data center is from a hole in the wall. And yet they use it probably morning, noon and night. So I think that there's a disconnect somehow between the data that's in the center that's driving all the digitalization, which also is according to IPCC, which was the announcement last week, 30% of our decarbonization strategies this decade will be dependent on technology. The technology will be hardware and software, but the intelligence will be data and the data will be in centers. So is there an argument to say that 30% of all the decarbonization of the planet from from transport, from manufacturing, from house uh, um, you know, heat pumps and stuff to technology is actually because of data and centers. So you imagine a weighing scales, 2% of all electricity in the world goes into data centers, carbon overhead of X, but the data in the center is actually doing 30. So you'd have a, and that's a great way to start the discussion, you know, because because that's, to, if, if I understand the audience, a lot of them are in the center business and they are doing some amazing work in reducing the greenest electron, as we always say, is the electron not used. Right. 
incredible to think that uh, according to the International Energy Association that we still have consuming the same amount of electricity in, in a data center asset class as we did 10 years ago, because it's changing, it's become more efficient, we're taking stuff out of people's offices and all that stuff. And yet the output is 12 and a half times what it was. Right. That's when we start to see the magic. That's when we start to respond to people and say, we're not, this digital footprint isn't getting bigger because we're still using technologies that we used 10 years ago and it's just so inefficient. It's like a car or your smartphone or your smartwatch is look back at your technology you used 10 years ago and you'll laugh. <laughs> and probably it's using an awful lot more electricity but its functionality today is so much more advanced and probably using a lot less electricity. But that's really sort of those two pillars seem to have come even more to the fore over the, certainly decarbonization, but my goodness, without blowing smoke up your industry uh, um, is ass. Where would we be, David, uh, over the last two years if we hadn't had Zoom teams and then when we went home, a bit of Netflix. And when our kids went to school, able to do remote uh, uh, teaching. Um, I have to take my hat off because the internet, like a lot of things, was organically grown. There wasn't a master plan. And guess what? Give or take, it worked. <laughs> it's a wonderful piece of collaboration that's been forgotten about because there was no master plan. Just people building with good principles, with the right protocols. That's the key thing, isn't it? You know, even though we speak all different languages, what keeps the internet together is one protocol. And that's beautiful. You know, in a weird way, it's like ancient Rome, at least good ancient Rome, before they lost its mind. A lot of people forget that that was really the first civilization. They introduced Koinonia Greek. So, so it was sort of a common language that um, unified all the traders, the caravans, the whatever. And they built the Roman road and they had the might. This is before, you know, Rome began burning people and what a crucifying or whatever, but they had the might and they had the will um, to enforce the rule of Rome, which was in, was in their best interest. We want commerce to look like this. We want the road to be safe like this. And I'm not trying to gloss over human beings being tribal and human beings where we exploit that. But that was the first time really of any sort of um, manner that communication, data, whatever could flow that you had to, you know, sort of an early precursor of networks and routes. It looked like this. Yeah. Um, when left to our own devices, we figure out a way to how to exploit it. So, you know, we, you know, that story, but it, yeah. but it's, um, it's a very compelling. And then lastly, they had they um, they encouraged in early Roman Empire innovation. We're going to we're going to levy a very small. It's hard to say that um, it doesn't fit the narrative, but historically accurate, very small tax. We reserve the right for capital punishment. We have very small tax, but you self-govern, self-govern. Wow. Don't re rebel against the empire. Follow these general rules in this uh, republic. There were no Caesars yet and these things. And humanity flourished in so many ways. Um, and, and as time goes on, you know, we, we, 
we invent more interesting ways to uh, take that good thing and screw it up if we're not, uh, you know, sitting on the wall as watchers. But today, but you're I see so that- right. You're, you're, you're so right. And this, that's why history and we love history. And that's why the learnings from history actually are, are, are where we should go when we're in, in, in doubt about what the future will look like. And, you know, over the last three, four weeks, actually, I've, I've listened to two uh, biographies. One was by a guy called James Dyson, who uh, invented the, uh, the vacuum bagless Dyson Hoover. And, 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 and the most recent one was Henry Ford, right? Mm. And extraordinary about listening to Henry Ford, who's gone back 100 years, was the same challenges associated with the reaction by society to change. And that's what the, a lot of the listeners in this are very much in the middle of. You were in the middle of a change agent industry called data. You may be building centers, you may be operating centers, but you basically are the catalyst for this change. And change has a, is not always embraced. Often it's fought or it's punched, or an awful lot of people that shouldn't run away from it. Mm -hmm. And what he was talking about was he was, in, he was bringing to the market, I absolutely forgot this, a car that he believed was gonna change everything because it was at a price point that any working man could use. But what he didn't, or he did realize was a huge amount of oats, 30% of land was selling oats for horses. So there was an awful lot of people who grew a lot of oats that had a nice little earning and a lot of horses that needed a lot of stuff. And New York City had 100,000 horses at any one time. So there wasn't a huge red carpet for him by all the people who were in the traditional transport industry, horses, when he rocked up. <laughs> and it's extraordinary to see how it all came about. He, he basically broke the back of it by demonstrating in a race that his car, his, his engine, could go 52 times quicker over a mile than a horse. And then suddenly by demonstrating, by visual inspection, people then says, oh, now I get it. <laughs> but you could talk about the... the, the the technologies in the car and the sump and the spark plug and the gasoline and the petrol and nobody cared. Right. Cause, and that's a bit like a data center. You could talk about PUE and all that. Nobody <clears> really, then <throat> you show them that that's what's running their health system, that that's the data in the center is what the probe when you arrive at somebody's house to take their, their, uh, um, temperature is going directly to a hospital. That's why when they arrive at the hospital, they know what they have to do. That's a data center in work. Right. And that's by demonstration. The other guy, which was really interesting, was Dyson, James Dyson. And he, and he invented a bag, think about it for a second, a bagless Hoover. And he's hugely successful now. Um, but he was competing in an industry that made most of its profits from the bags. <laughs> it reminded me of HP. You know, HP used to say about the printers, we're happy to give away the printers because we make it on the ink. Right. So he was actually a bagless Hoover. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> when 80% of our profits in that sector were from the bags. Right. And that, that, that drove them on even further. So often you got to just demonstrate to people that, that uh, visually that actually things can be better. But more to the point, show them. And, um, you know, that's we've spoken about this before. Um, sometimes in an industry, 
um, when when we're so in love and obsessed with the technology or the how, we forget to tell the people why. Mm-hmm. Why it matters. Right. Why it's needed. Well, I think to and, your point of the examples you've given, a lot of times it's not telling them why, it's showing them why. So we had, I bought a TiVo early days, and this has been made in a, in a book called, um, by Nick Carr, I forget the name of it now, but um, The Great Switch or The Big Switch. Anyway, he, he makes this point, you, you bring the, um, the TiVo out, um, other uh, futurists have spoken about this. It had so many options. I don't know if you remember that. That was the original recorder, yeah. digital recorder, yeah. all your shows or whatever, but it wasn't integrated with your systems. You had to optimize it in all these different ways. And as a nerd, I mostly got it optimized um, <laughs> or uh, I, I, I mostly got it functioning. I suppose then it wouldn't be optimized, but I got it functioning good enough. And I tried to explain the 700 button remote control to my family they just it never went anywhere it's a 300 dollar brick plus the service that i had to pay etc um and eventually got set aside well we switched our service from one to the other a little you know a year or two after that and it came with this digital recorder yeah three buttons push r (laughs) it records yeah, it will record the show you chose from the menu automatically. If you want it, you know, now the nerd to me say, well, I want to record it for this many times, choose the show after it. Well, I don't want to choose the show, sir. <laughs> just do this. My whole family started using it. And so now the debate wasn't, do you use it or not? It was, I don't want to see my little pony when it's supposed to be formula one, what's happening. But my point is, it's just, it was simple. It was elegant. Steve jobs with the apple or with the iPod simple and elegant there were way better more capable systems people didn't get it but when i could put them down and without spending really any time on the mouse or the keyboard or whatever here's how you're getting your sums oh and they all add up at the end oh and then you print that by just pushing that little thing that looks like a what a printer no commands needed and then you take your form and you put in your envelope and take it to the post office now they imagine a hundred steps down the road never talk to them about decarbonizing or the ease of this or that or whatever it just i just click it and it's done oh i know i know and i think that's what you're, the go, story you're telling yeah they but but even then they had to go through an iteration unfortunately to fail with the 300 button before they were somebody was convinced either the engineer that was driving the project or maybe an accountant who was looking behind a a uh, keyboard the key thing in my experience dave is ask the people Mm -hmm. this idea of crowdsourcing honest to goodness you'd imagine you'd think it was only invented but i mean if you want to sell something no matter how good the product or service is ask the people first if i was to do this would you buy it Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) and the would you buy it bit is very important and that helps then, and that's the other thing that Dyson and the other guy, uh, Henry Ford, made sure of, was that there was a spit that they knew that they were in the right direction because they asked all those questions first. Mm-hmm. And then they were driven nearly to dimension, uh, to be honest, both of them, they're both mad scientists. But it's very important, isn't it, always to, uh, what is it, play with your head up, you know, mm-hmm. like when we play sports. Uh, we often talk to the fastest kid or the strongest kid. If they don't play with their head up to see they're running in the right way, 
<laughs> or with the right ball towards the right line. Doesn't matter how good they are. Right. And I, th I think the same is with what we're doing here is lift your head, play with your head up, look around to what difference you're making to people's lives with even this smartphone, for instance. And unfortunately, I think what we tend to do is we talk about social media as if it is the internet, mm -hmm. <laughs> whereas actually it's only a small part of the internet. That's why we like to bring in the whole talk about HSE or the health services or keeping grids, national grids secure. You know, the real stuff, the heavy gridiron utilities that are kept running because mm -hmm. the smart technology that's running them. Um, and that's that's obviously uh, what you and I uh, love talking about a bit more. Um, but uh, yeah, change is all about it. Don't expect a red carpet always, right? I am. Um, but first, a quick comment. When you hit your desk, a big thump oh. comes through your mic, just oh. FYI. It's, Sorry. it's like you're playing a kettle drum. I love it. The audience is probably going to love it too, but <laughs> we just know you're being emphatic. I just want you there to know you, that. There you go. I won't be, uh, well, there you go. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, I kept looking up like the, I hear the drums. Where's the Piper kit? I know, I know. I'll get my Yellen pipes. <laughs> I get my Yellen pipes now. I have my guitar here if that's any good. <laughs> I've got mine behind me. Um, the second thing is, so we've talked a lot about digitalization, um, and I, I love that explanation. Why should they be thinking about the second leg, the decarb? Why, why, in a practical way, as you're explaining this to people in your sphere of influence, how do you articulate that point and why it should matter? Well, globally, right now, we have a choice. We either, now that we're fully aware of the consequences of our last 200 years and the negative effects it's having on the planet, mm -hmm. we have a choice. We either engage fully using all the abilities and knowledge and science that we have at our disposal, or we don't. But like every choice, remember there are <coughs> consequences. So to me, I don't think there's anybody anywhere that if they understand the fact that something is changing very quickly and science and charts and graphs will tell you that. And if you love yourself and your family and you want this little rock to be an inhabitable place for humans, this is the key thing. The rock will evolve. Guess what? <laughs> the, old, the old dinosaurs thought they had the run of the place. They went, but the rock evolved. Mm -hmm. But the rock might not include ourselves. That's all that we're doing is we're basically creating an environment with the emissions and with our previous ways of acceptance of living. And um, that is just adding, we don't even have to get into the detail, adding rapidly to the heating and the carbon. And therefore the world that we know it now is changing. And if it changes to the degree that we think it'll change, it'll be uninhabitable by humans. So I want to pause you there. Here's a, um, I want, to, I want to pose something for you to consider and respond to. A few years ago, we had a um, significant ice event where I live in Atlanta that caused a power outage in a number of places. And it began a conversation with my neighbor and I about this idea of getting quote unquote energy independence. And all we meant by that was, I wonder if there's a way that we can afford to get some sort of energy We'd never considered solar for our home or anything like that, or even for our vehicles. So it, it began 
a conversation and us thinking, how do we go about that? Where's the cost? What's the technology? How hard is it? Et cetera. We're pretty critical thinkers. We tend to be not cynics, but skeptics to work through it. But the next one is we had the pipeline interruption um, here in the States, the big ransomware thing. Yeah. And in my part of the country, fuel didn't flow for a while. And probably, I don't know what the percentage of gas stations, but those around me were low or were out or were restricted. And the people that were moving were the Teslas and the um, electric hybrid or whatever vehicles were moving without a lot of concern in the, in the short term. I'm not saying that would forever be the case, but in that short term, they um, had a different concern than we did. And all of a sudden range uh, nervousness on how far that thing could go completely went out the window. They could go somewhere, they could go and get their medicine. They could go do whatever they needed to do. So it further, it, my point is that these are practical demonstrations. And many times when I, whether it's with myself or with a lot of my group, when we spend a lot of time having a conversation about here's what's coming. I know you can't see or, or, or you're not interpreting the changing world around us as directly contributed to by human beings and our carbon output. But you could at least, if for no other reason, see that if you can get some independence um, from fossil fuels, if you've got the ability to plug in your vehicle when you get home and recharge and the cost is about the same or it's it's a for you know for all of these reasons you could practically see it the torque in that new electric truck is much more powerful than i've got a big giant f-250 haul our four wheelers haul our rv four-wheel drive it's a stout uh vehicle well the new electric trucks are equal to or greater than in many cases greater than with all these other benefits and so it's caused me to think and then and then my last point and i'm going to allow you to take over this is not we're a we're a corporate podcast you and i've um you know we're we're a little bit yeah. more transparent away from here but i do want to touch on this one topic without making this super political seems like a lot of the conflicts in the world around um among other things controlling uh one of the other commodities of the world which is energy sure and so if i and I'm not trying to be naive or Pollyanna, but if I'm a, but these are right in our face, short-term things. This isn't what happens five years from now or 10 years from now, or scientists, smart people are warning us in the same way that I see people smoking all the time, smoking, 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 because at 45 years old, and I, my dad was a smoker for a long time or me, I'm losing weight. I'm down about uh, 25 pounds from the beginning of the year because I see the consequence of a parent 30 years ahead of me that has been a hundred pounds overweight. And I, it's, it, it, it's becoming more real as I'm getting closer to that than my youth. I see real time actionable consequences by giving power and control away to entities or to institutions or to governments or whatever that I, I'm not sure that I'm interested in that. And that for me, Gary, seems to be resonating with a much wider audience than those that I might have to spend time demonstrating because they think I have a political agenda or some other agenda on save the planet or say, you know, anyway, that's sort of where I'm coming from. And I'd love to get your reaction You're to that. You're so right. You're so right. And one of the things that we have to be mindful of always is that uh, most people will say, well, what's in it for me? 
how will that change my life? Right. Because different to previous generations, my goodness, most, most people in the planet of 7 billion, we only have, and I mean that with a, a, a certain amount of irony, we only have 850 million people in the world that don't have running water in 2022 versus mm. 2 billion in 2000. Right. So, you know, it's all about context, but what we, what we have to be mindful of is that it'll all, it won't change by governments. It won't change by human behavior. It won't change by money changing. It'll change by lots of the parts coming together and doing their bit. And what I'm seeing, which is possibly now the realist in me, uh, David, realizing that nothing moves without money. Mm. If the money doesn't shift, the nothing gets shifted. So if money is still plowing into developing research and developing a certain technology, and it's easier to get it, if you are developing it, and also if there's a better return on investment for the investors, then you're going to have a real battle. Now, however, what we're seeing is the best performing global funds now are green funds, green related, the best return on investment. We are also starting to see, which is very encouraging, the likes of BlackRock, 7 trillion quid under management, have now put a seventh pillar on their selection criteria. And that is to do with, is it, you have to demonstrate that this is a climate neutral, whatever, mm-hmm. by a date. So now that the money, which is the, whether we want to believe it, whether it comes in cryptocurrency, <laughs> dollars or euros or yen, mm-hmm. it's the lubricant that usually gets everything running, gets everything running smoothly. Sometimes it's not, it's not in our favor, but it is absolutely now turning and changing. And therefore, when that happens, what will happen trickling down is that, guess what? Your local grid in Alabama, wherever you are, has been smartened with new technology that allows you, Mr. Citizen, to become, and I'm only talking from firsthand experience in Ireland, I can now by this summer hopefully be a prosumer. Think about that for a second. Wow, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to put up a few, and, and I know it's hard for your listeners to real to believe that the sun ever goes to Ireland, but <laughs> it does. And again, the technologies that have been developed aren't based on the sun; they're based on light, photovoltaic. So we just need lots of light. But what it'll allow me to do, and this is where you get to the point where people say, "Ah, that's what's in it for me." I can be selling electrons to the grid and receiving electrons from the grid and the only money i have to pay is the delta and there and that delta will be cheaper than if i just had a bill so we're nearly getting it in all different angles that the the the, the reduction of carbon emissions associated with the fossil fuel i would have burned is nearly a dividend it's the good feel it's the the virtue signaling for why I did it, whereas really what I did it for was to reduce my operating expenses. <laughs> and I think you've got to be mindful always, don't you, that there's, that there's certain groups far left, there's certain groups far right, and most people are somewhere in between the two. Mm-hmm. 
and what we we can learn a lot as you say from people that have gone before us um and you know the tech it all goes back doesn't it even this discussion back to well how will that work gary well it'll work only when we have a smart grid and what's a smart grid gary well a smart grid is lots of hardware managed by data and that data sits in the centers because <laughs> there's not a discussion we couldn't have right now about agriculture, ag tech. I don't know if you're tracking any of the tech they're putting into agriculture right now. It's I've written an article about it. It's extraordinary. It's yeah. down to actually the, 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 the number of stomachs that are operating in a cow because they've more than one stomach, as you know, and they can put different enzymes in different stomachs and monitor them. And that data that's reducing the amount of methane that comes out of that cow is being managed in a center which is what most of the people on this call are part of. So actually, indirectly, guys, the anything to do with the, the reduction of carbon in agriculture, the reduction of carbon in electrical and energy, the reduction of carbon. Amazing thing happened to me last week. I was brought down on a building site, and I don't know about you, but uh, when you've seen one building site at one data center, it is a bit like putting pins in your eyes, isn't it? It is like going to your your mother-in-law for Sunday dinner. But I, I rocked up anyway. And I actually couldn't leave the site because what the guys had on the site, uh, David, was a digital twin mm -hmm. of what this building and all of the surrounding infrastructure will look like. A digital twin. Mm -hmm. And they had all of the building guys, they had all of the service providers, they had the telco guys, we're talking through the digital twin. They could see it. Everybody could tangibly. It wasn't flat and 2D on the table. They were able to make modifications because they could see it. They could say, no, that won't work because we need a four-inch arc radius or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, as, as we walked away, what the engineers said was, you have no idea how much how many mistakes on metal, on steel, on concrete, on delays that this digital twin can happen. So then we say, oh, so that digital twin, which is really data in a center, has just reduced maybe X percent of the embedded carbon in that building because we didn't have to do it. We didn't have to rip it out. So everywhere you go, the tools and services that are being used for whatever we're trying to do usually is surrounding and based on uh, some form of, can we do it better? Can we do it cheaper? Can we do it in compliance with our ESG, which is how we're after getting the money because <laughs> it's part of a green fund. And so it's, it's sort of at different levels. And, and what I'm just blown away by to your point earlier is how engineers who usually would be getting their back broken bending radiuses are absolutely loving all this headgear and ar headsets and vr headsets and it's nearly made them they never thought they were sort of digital workers <laughs> but now they are yeah it's extraordinary it, it's extraordinary to see, to see that We've seen, uh, we've had a couple of folks in here um, that are digital twin experts and speak to it. And what your example, one of the things that I love is when you're in that tool and everybody can visualize it, but as you make the change that you're describing, depending upon the tool, it will tell you, okay, so you want to put a door here, but here's 
what metal are you using? And the system has built into it the type of metal you, you need to have steel or you need to have some alloy or you whatever, because it has to support, here's how it changes its relationship with the entire infrastructure. Well, by the way, once we decide on that, all the drawings are updated up and down the stream, inventory is updated, delivery times are updated, the manufacturers are all updated, everybody is now um, operating, presuming that's the authoritative um, example, they're doing this in Formula One, they're doing this in sure. all these other places. And it's, um, they just think of it as, man, I don't have to product manage this. And we're communicating <laughs> clearly, but we could see the long term, you know, now I don't have to build or burn from my steel plant as many bolts or as many nuts. Yeah. Or, I'm yeah. much more efficient because it's all tied um, tied together. You mentioned an acronym. We love to do that here on the show as we talk about acronyms. By the way, okay. most of our audience probably is not data center people. We have a wide yeah. range here. So when you say ESG, what's the yeah. ESG? In environmental, sustainable, and governance. It, I'm so glad that you picked me up on it because I love when people pick me up on stuff. It is what we used to call CSR mm. back in the day corporate social responsibility but the esg is a new title now which is far further embracing because it actually goes into all aspects of businesses including governance how we govern our company how we maintain our standards and those standards could be in ethics but it also could be in our pledge to the environment or it could be our pledge to the community um, and that's what ESG, thank you for stopping me on that. ESG is the all-encompassing now, um, but a lot of people that were CSR experts have gravitated into this. And it's a great uh, uh, link to another thing I thought I'd bring up. And it's, uh, I guess you and I are reasonably the same era. Um, and and when, when I was... We're the same era. We've established this before. You in, look better than around, me, but we're the I, same era. We're in and around, right? So when we think about sort of three-letter acronyms and we think about the big thing was total cost of ownership, right? TCO. Oh, my God. It was all about TCO, right? Now, I got hit last week and I had to listen and learn because it's very important. It's life cycle analysis. Hmm. What's life cycle analysis? Well, that is basically now the metrics that a lot of companies are using the money in particular when they're investing in projects is it's great and all to look at the, car the operational carbon emissions, but how much carbon went into making it there in the first place or embedded or how much carbon or other gases um, went into bringing the products steel and stuff to the product so what they have now in parallel you'll see them often uh, in parallel with project managers and and they have their environmental consultants now it's not just good enough to do the bio biodiversity and water and stuff they now do this uh, life cycle carbon life cycle analysis every single step mm. it's extraordinary to see that um, in parallel with sort of the, the traditional engineers. And that's why you and I often talk about sort of the, the jobs of the future, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't know who said it, maybe you, maybe I, maybe we made it up, but there was something like 35% of all jobs by 2035 haven't even been invented yet. 
<laughs> and and then you look at things like that life cycle analysis. Who would have thought that there's a million five people working in the platform called Facebook or Meta? Mm -hmm. <laughs> 15 years ago, it didn't exist. So I think that these tools that are, are, are available to us and, and what's really encouraging is how they're being embraced by people who genuinely, in my experience, don't, most people don't want repetitive work, mm -hmm. repetitive work. I don't believe people want repetitive work, you know, and um, there was no fun digging a hole in the 60s all day, seven days a week. You were jumping and hopping and screaming and laughing when a JCB came along. So because you could drive the JCB, or you could fix the JCB or you could make it. Right. So I think when these tools come along, like digital twins and augmented reality and those that want to embrace it, they say, God, man, it's so cool. I'm learning new skills, but I'm not walking away from my old stuff. Right. Um, right. And I think that it's every industry now, everywhere you look. Um, I read only yesterday that there was a sense pre-COVID that there was a the silver dollar was being left behind in the digital transformation. And what happened with COVID was they were forced to use tech because of um, um, the, the restrictions in travel, the restrictions of use, they had the only way. And now they are embracing it fully. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just wonderful to see and think about that generation of people, whatever age they may be, learning new stuff. As you... Um, you and I talk to a lot of people uh, through your role at Host in Ireland and in this industry, and of course, through your podcast, Bits, Bites, and Banter, which I've enjoyed many of the episodes. When, when, I, when I think about all of this opportunity, I also, um, I wonder about the security. We've had breaches. There are things, you know, and um, <clears throat> uh, we're trying to get some folks in here to sort of the counterpoint, because I'm, I'm familiar with the tech side of things. I'm not familiar with, um, yeah. so for, let me say it differently. Fossil fuels, I've got at my gas station right up the street and, uh, or petrol station, however you want to describe it. <clears throat> and they'll say, look, we got all these safety measures. You, you know, when you go to refuel your vehicle, you can't uh, light a light something. You can't, you have to turn off your vehicle. Like this is the behavior we have to do. We have to constantly monitor the ground for leakage. We've got You've got this essentially a bomb in your neighborhood every so many distance and all of these other things, um, the vehicles that are transporting the, that there. So here is the physical and the environmental risks of doing something like that. When, when I look at technology, I, you know, we've had interruptions here in the news today. One of the threats to the world is, look, if you interfere, we've got the ability to interfere with your digital platforms whatever that may be, your sewer system, your food supply yeah. chain, your whatever. And um, <clears throat> it's not an insignificant threat, whether they can be done or not, I don't know, but it's not insignificant. So as we digitize, um, how, whether it's your own reading or your guests, how have you thought through how we protect, um, you know, if something's that's valuable, it's, it's at risk to being interfered with. So how do we protect that? Or how have you thought about that? On speaking to people and my own experience and, and observing my own children, I have to say that I still would be 
in a strange way is thinking that human behavior is our greatest liability still. It's a bit like going back in the old days where the people used to have all sorts of lock the front door and left the back window open. We seem, you know, we seem to have this amazing propensity to have lots of security on the front and side. And then a CEO leaves a laptop on a bus on the way home. Right. And I still, uh, and, and you and I have spoken about this before, for an industry of digital, for, for true digitalization, to, in its truest sense, uh, is only 15 years old. Mm-hmm. We had digital, of course we did, we had data, but they were more for offices and they were more to automate finance systems, manufacturing systems. It wasn't really what they classify as B to C, business to consumer. So it's extraordinary that in that 15 years, it's still only baby industry when you compare it to other industries like pharmaceuticals and stuff. And and yet it is the most critical now platform, the internet connectivity there is. And there are some early positive indicators. And I don't want to bore people with the thing called GDPR, but it is important. GDPR was a general data protection regulation brought into Europe about four years ago. And the two things that I loved about it, listening to people about it was, there's fundamentally two things. You can get into the technology, you can talk about blockchain, you can talk about all that embedded security and stuff. But again, it comes back to common sense and first principles. And what it was, was you need now to build products or you can be penalized privacy by design and security by design. That's the fundamental premise of GDPR. So that after that date, you must develop products and services, hardware, software, and others with privacy by design at its core. Or we can go after you for four to 6% of your global revenue. And 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 the other thing then is, and I don't know if we have time today, but I only learned through this GDPR um, education, privacy and security are very different things. Security is stopping the bad guys getting in, firewalls, all that type of stuff. Privacy is what you're allowing, inverted commas, the good guys do with that data, you know? And some people obsess about the security, stopping the bad dudes getting in, but they don't seem to care what the good guys are doing with the data, which is probably 10 times worse. Certainly. (laughs) So I think that is absolutely right, proper, on this call, David, to put it there as a concern. Why? Because, again, I may be off on my figures, but 20% of data by 2025 will have a life-changing event if it goes wrong. Mm-hmm. I think IDC have said that. And as we move more and more towards um, autonomous whatever, mm-hmm. it even becomes more relevant, doesn't it? Okay. Um, so what we have to do is I think we sh- we got to... The biggest challenge we're going to have is different platforms disputing which one is better, which one is the better. Even in Europe, we're only finally getting to the same charger for your mobile phones. (laughs) You know, finally, they've got to the stage where saying that's not their secret sauce. The secret sauce is this operating system. You know, you've got all that brinksmanship going on. 
I think we saw it before, uh, David, which I love the story of DEC and IBM fighting, fighting for proprietary world domination. And then some pimply faced academic down in North Virginia invented the super nap or whatever it was called, the Internet. And then suddenly all that proprietary stuff went out the window. And I think that, that, that we are certainly seeing, even with the likes of GDPR, which is a European thing, the principal framework has been adopted in, say, uh, California. And um, we're now at the stage, of course, where you get to that critical mass. Well, if it's good and well worked, privacy by design for the product and security by design for the product in Europe, then maybe we should apply parts of it or all of it in North America or in Australia. But remember, it's extraordinary when you think about all that works, that it's amazing and through COVID, but it is an organic, <laughs> it's like an organic thing, isn't it? It's There's no master plan, but I still believe that most of the challenges we have are to do fundamentally with human behavior. Um, and that's not always about the, the unfortunate operative that doesn't do the right patching or doesn't do this. It's the lack of training for the operative to do the right thing. Um, but it definitely, as we become more connected, we all need to be more mindful. Um, but it is, it's not gonna stop it. Um, that's for sure. It's not going to stop it. Well, there are a couple other areas I want to ask a question on, but when you, like, you know, in your role there in Ireland, you, it seems every time I turn around, at least when I'm thinking of Europe, the, the, the locale that seems to be getting it right, energy, uh, partnering with, um, data centers, um, how we're going to move forward the constantly in the conversation is Ireland. One, why is that, do you think, or do you agree with that supposition? And two, um, what if you're thinking about that, I know we just have a few minutes left, but if you're thinking about that, where what's next? Is it, is it just double down on the initiatives that you've got going on? Or wh why do you think they're leading the way in so many of these conversations? And what's next for you guys? You if know, you have your way. <laughs> It's a great question. I'm so glad you asked it because, you know, <clears throat> I may have said it on our last interview. I am, I was, and am probably still the world's worst COBOL programmer. Right. <laughs> but what it did for me when I was coming out of college was it, it gave me a sense of the importance of data. Mm -hmm. And I also got to understand David, the, the minds, the brilliant minds of program, good programmers. <laughs> so that when I went out into the big world, I knew I could understand what way they tick. Mm -hmm. And then I could basically do what I like doing is find the problem and connect the two together. Mm -hmm. And I think when you think about Ireland, right, um, you know, population of five million surrounded by uh, ocean on one side, two seas on the other. Um, you then realize, well, how did Ireland become in 2000 the largest exporter of software in the world? I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Mm. It's really quite simple. It's just because we we basically attracted a lot of the Microsoft's Oracles, Bon and Lotus and IBM to use it as our their digital gateway to Europe and the floppy disks that we were punching out in Hebrew and German and French and Italian um, localized here. Guess what? They disappeared. We suddenly then said, well, we don't want to be left behind. Let's build a load of fiber cables 
that are, are replacing the 40 foot containers. Mm -hmm. And what's at the end of these fiber cables? Data centers. And that's basically, to me, when I look at a data center, uh, it's like a floppy disk all grown up, right? It's storing, forwarding software. To say that we've got every aspect of it right um, was is probably um, what's nice to hear. There's obviously aspects of it that is is uh, uh, challenging, and and I I want to say this in the best possible way. But sometimes you can um, have challenges of success, David, and I think challenges of success and challenges of failure are both challenges, and. Why do I say challenges of success? Because we have effectively a scientific physics challenge in the in most global electrical grids right now. Mm. Because for a hundred years, and this isn't just Ireland, give or take grids have been the same design. You have small amount of very large generators and you have thousands of consumers. Mm -hmm. And that was just the way it was up to very recently. Now we have this smart grid technology where we're looking to have, to your point earlier, a few wind farms here, some nuclear there, some solar farms, some all sorts, all generating electricity. And that is the value of data going forward, is the value is going to be in the greening of the data. That's the value. And when you look at somewhere like Ireland with the two seas and the ocean, we've like 10 or 15 times more capacity around us than we can ever use ourselves. But physics won't and speed by which we can capture and harness it all to turn it into green data possibly is slower than the digitalization of the planet. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's, that's the thing about different technologies. Electrons and its industry is a different science to photons or data, and one definitely, if we, the data world, you know, if it doesn't change in 10 weeks, it's going too slow. Right. <laughs> Whereas you have other industries that have been pretty much the same for 10 years. So I, to, to, to answer your question, I think you just keep doing what you've always done, um, knowing that you're solving a problem. And I think what Ireland has done, our problem when we reached out to North Americans in the 1950s was, our problem was that our young people were emigrating because all we had was farming. Mm. And every time a new technology came along with a combine harvester, that knocked another 25% of them off the land. Mm. So the problem we were trying to solve was, could we attract US companies to use Ireland as a base? And then, because they wanted to expand into Europe. And that is why we keep doing it. And whilst data is in my DNA, it's the same. If you look at someone like Microsoft in Dublin, you know, David, they have 289 business units running out of the 12,000 people in Dublin, and only one of them is the data center. <laughs> only one of them. Right. So it gives the listeners a context for how big these companies are and what they're involved in. And um, I think, like everyone, you know, and, and this is my own view, is that. We have two challenges this decade, decarbonize society whilst maintaining economic and job multipliers. And both of them 
I think the former is the priority, but closely followed by the other. And I believe that there is an opportunity to do that by harvesting more of our untapped renewable energy, mm -hmm. converting that into data via data centers to export. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that is where we are position will remain um, in, the, in the data world. But more encouraging for me and the fun I'm having at the moment, and I have to share this with you, is that uh, because we were designing, building and helping Intel and Pfizer and all these other companies 20 years ago, our companies, the Irish companies now are all over Europe with the, the electrical stuff. It's like North Virginia contractors. They seem to be building a lot of data centers all over North America. Right. Well, Ireland is a bit like the North Virginia. And to see that, and that's where you talk about evolutions of countries, to see now that we're, you know, billions of spend in Europe repatriating to Ireland, the long tail dividend that I'm excited about is that Ireland probably will have a maximum output, two gigawatts, two and a half gigawatts, who knows? But the dividend of all those skills around Europe repatriating is something to look at. And it's uh, it, it, that's just the, the, the learned skills, to your point earlier, and trust um, of the companies you're dealing with. Um, and, and there's some more technical reasons. We speak English as our first language. Although there's more people, I, I understand the Dutch better than I do some of the Irish, but that's a different discussion. <laughs> and, and there's this thing, isn't there, called law, um, which we all have to be mindful of. And we use a common law, basic fabric, which is the same as you guys. And since our friends in the UK decided to leave EU, uh, we're the last gang standing that use common law as our framework. And that helps people to understand what they're entering into if they're entering into a contract. So we are doing some things right. We're doing some things uh, evolving. And uh, the things we do wrong, you know yourself, David, the victor always gets to rewrite history. Yep. <laughs> well, I know we're out of time, Gary. As always, I, um, I had 30 questions and we're just throwing them away because it was so much more engaging. I appreciate you uh, showing up and bringing that today. And for folks that want to connect with you, um, how can they do that? We'll make sure we yeah. have the links below. I think LinkedIn is the best place. Gary Connolly hosts in Ireland or uh, uh, gcontact.com. But mainly LinkedIn is a great platform for the connecting. Please, please uh, touch with me up there and uh, I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions. But David, thank you so much. You're uh, an absolute champion of uh, bringing out great questions. And uh, uh, you, you have an inquisitive mind, which helps me uh, uh, up my game, you know, it, it makes me think because I know you're thinking. So, very well done for your show. And thank you for asking me back. Thank you very much. I, my hand was cramping. I was writing so many things down as you're talking. <laughs> I look forward to it. I am scratching my investment in oats in New York. I'll tell you that right now. So, thank you, Gary. Have a great day. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. <laughs>